Uh, some people were asking me this week, we had these stickers that we did a while ago for the back of cars. Oh, I'm getting there. Okay. So uh, they kind of look like that, and we ran out. We sold them all. We had some more made. Uh, I think the cost was like five bucks, so Mikey has them back there. What we also did is we made some like this that have all the little things on it, but then we made ones that were like just the leaf, so it's like a big leaf with the element thing. We made ones just fire. So we make a... Anyway, if you want one, Mikey's got them back there. But I will tell you, if you put one of these on your car, you're not allowed to drive like a butthole. <laughs> you shouldn't drive like one anyway. But honestly, and, and the, this, is the back of, this is the back of my truck. And on the back of my truck, I, I have half ownership of this computer company, and I, and I have this phone number on it. And it says, it has this phone number. And I am surprised that... The guys in the office have never gotten a phone call about the way I drive. Like, ah, this guy works for you, and he drives like an idiot. Well, okay. All right. So uh, we are doing the super big game party bowl thing today. You're not allowed to. My wife and I were, were watching this commercial this week, and it was Walmart, and Walmart's having a super bleep party, and they didn't even say it in their commercial because you're not allowed to. That's me. You're not allowed to say the word bleep bowl. Because uh, you can get sued, I guess. It, the NFL owns it. You're not allowed to say it unless you pay them money for it. So we don't say it. So we're going to have this party. Uh, Chris Bowser promises me that his rabbit ears are going to be great, that the game's going to look great in here. If not, you're all going to be wearing, like, uh, aluminum foil helmets. You're going to be standing like this. You know, just go, don't move. It's, uh, wait, that's no. Wait, no. It'll be fine. We'll... Okay, I better get going because some of you guys are standing up, so you're just like, this is going to be really long. Uh, this week, one more thing, we're actually starting a college group. Uh, college, college things starting this week, so if you are college age and, and you want to connect with some other college people, right outside these doors on the small group signups, there's one that says college, sign up on it. The guy that's going to oversee that will give you a call and figure out where you guys are going to meet and what day it is and what time and all of that. So it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, he's actually a guy that has a small group of, of guys, and I'm telling you, all of his guys should be really excited because now chicks are going to show up. <laughs> and if you're a dude, you should be happy when chicks show up. You'd be like, yeah, chicks. <laughs> They're softer than you, and it's nice. You know, last week, okay, just one more thing. I'm sorry. It's just, just, just <laughs> every week, every week, I actually listen to. I'm on the on the podcast, so I listen to what happens, right? So I, I always want to be a better speaker and not just bore you guys out. So I actually listen to how I sound and what I say. And last week, I'm talking, and I, I'm sorry. In the middle of my message, I said, uh, "And this you, the swingle group, the swingle group, big enough for you to put a tree in." And you guys, are, and you guys are all laughing. I have no idea why you're laughing. <laughs> so I listen to the podcast, and I'm like, "Oh." That's what's so funny. Stay on there, read God's Word. Yeah, this is Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 14. This is what it says. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we as your people understand what it means to grow up to know you and to trust you, that we would step out into the places that you call us to be, and even though sometimes it can be scary, that our hope would be in you. Amen. Have a seat. We are going through the Gospel of John. If you brought a Bible this morning or a chair, uh, you can open up to John chapter 6. That's where we're going to be. 
for just a little bit, then we'll turn to Matthew. But John's gospel is 90% unique to John. If you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have a lot of things that are in common because they were all written kind of around the same time and era. Uh, and so they're written or before John. And so when John writes his, he's probably aware of the circulation of these other gospels. And so he doesn't include many of the stories. Uh, if he does include the stories, sometimes it's a little bit different because they have a different perspective. Now, as we discussed before, John loves using metaphors because he's trying to bridge two worlds, a Hebrew and a Greek world, and bring them together so they both understand. And the Hebrews, they like metaphors, but the Greeks love metaphors, so he uses these a lot. He uses light and dark and life and death and bridegrooms and brides and night and day and water and wind. And the small section we're going to look at in John today, he omits almost everything the people in the other Gospels do, almost everything. Everything, And this is a story about Jesus walking on the water. It's after Jesus feeds 5,000 men, which means probably 20,000 people that were actually there. Uh, Matthew and Mark take this account and they move forward and they cover some stuff. And John just totally overlooks some of it. The main thing of that is Peter walking on the water with Jesus. John just kind of like, I don't care. It's not important to me. I'm going in a different direction with this. Now, for some of us, I want you guys this morning to actually get that story. I want you to hear the story of Peter walking on the water because sometimes you'll get it from other sources and I want you to hear it from Scripture. So we're going to look at John's account, then we're going to go back and we're going to look at Matthew and Mark and put all these things together. You're going to be so smart when you leave, you're not going to know what to do with yourself except watch the bleep bowl. <laughs> so John's account goes like this. This is John 6, starting in verse 16. It says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Now it was what? What's the word? Dark. dark. Now it was dark. John is again using a visual. He first wants you to understand that, yes, it's night, but it is also dark. Because the next line says, And Jesus had not yet joined them. In, in Greek, it actually says Jesus had not yet come. He had not yet come. So Jesus is always portrayed as the light, and it is dark because Jesus has not yet come. He's using these metaphors. It says, A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough when they had rowed three, or three to three and a half miles. So if you're in a rowboat out on the water and you're going this way, you row like this, right? Okay, so you're facing the direction you're coming from and you're, you got to get the visual because we're going to go somewhere with this in a little bit. Just, you guys are like, man, this is a tough crowd today. And so they're going, and so they see, this is what they see. They saw Jesus approaching the boat, because he's walking from the shore they came from, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So Jesus get back, gets back in the boat, and now as soon as he's in the boat, the boat reaches the shore where it's going. Who is the focus? Jesus. Exactly. That's the point. Again, as I said, many scholars believe that John didn't include some things in his gospel because the other people already wrote about it. They knew the story. And John is pushing through his gospel to show you Jesus' deity, who he is. So the focus is like, well, you know the story. It's not about Peter. It's about Jesus. That's where we're going. But as I said again today, many people don't know some of the other verses about Peter walking on the water. So I'm actually going to take you through that account, get acquainted with Scripture and what that looks like. Uh, I want to go through the whole thing in depth. So we're going to go to Matthew and Mark and those Gospels and put this together. So if you have a Bible, open to Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to steal some stuff today from a guy named John Ortberg because he did a great treatise on this subject. Uh, John Ortberg actually tells this story uh, about his wife buying him a, his bir a birthday present. So he goes out and his, he figures out this birthday present is a, riding a hot air balloon. 
So he shows up and he's like, oh, this, is, this is cool. Another couple shows up because I guess you buy half and another couple buys half. And so they get in the basket. They're about a couple hundred feet up in the air. And then John says, I realized this basket's pretty darn small. <laughs> because I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. And so he's getting a little scared and worried. He looks at the guy that's piloting the hot air balloon. And he says, and he says uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions because he's a little nervous. And he said, so, so how did you get into flying hot air balloons? And the guy goes, dude, it's like this. And he's like, oh, crap. And, and the guy says, and the guy says, it was like this. He's, he's an unemployed surfer. He's out drinking one night. He's driving home. He wrecks his car. He injures his brother. His brother is now in a wheelchair, and his brother only likes to go watch hot air balloons, so he decides to fly hot air balloons. Great. And so then, then the guy looks at him, and he says, he says well, I've, I've never even actually flown this type of balloon before, so on the way down, if it gets really rough, Sorry. And so the, the other couple know that John Artberg's a pastor, and so they go, you're a pastor, do something religious. And so John Artberg says, I took an offering. <laughs> the, the biggest question that we need to ask, and that you need to ask yourself is this, can you trust the pilot? Because every step of your life is going to be a step between struggle and your struggle between faith and fear, where God calls you to and where he expects you to be. When we decide to put our trust in God, will we trust in God or will we trust ourselves? Because when we trust ourselves, we realize if you know you, you're not very trustworthy. So in Matthew 14, starting in verse 22, this is where we start. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land. We know this is three to three and a half miles. Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, most disciples are people who have been on boats most of their lives. Uh, except for probably Matthew, who's a desk jockey because he's like an IRS guy. But except for Matthew, everybody else has kind of been on boats. They're very comfortable with it. Jesus wants to be alone. He sends them off on a boat. So they're rowing, okay, a couple miles offshore in a rowboat. Just got the visual, right? I, dude, I cannot imagine being a couple miles offshore in a rowboat. Okay, so they're in a rowboat when this big storm hits. The, the text actually reads, buffeted by the waves. Uh, when, when you're reading the NIV, you're like, oh, that's nice. What's the big deal? I would pay somebody to buffet me at a salon, and it'd be great. All right? He's like, you know, why freak out? The actual Greek word here is this word. It's called basanzonomenon. And with this big word, there you go. And what it really means is tormented. It means to vex with grievous pains. And the best way I can explain this, don't think I'm crude or a little crass here. Well, maybe you can, whatever. But this is, it's like this. Anybody ever eaten a chili dog? A bad chili dog. And you go home, and you just got to go. So you go in, and you sit down. At least I hope you sit down. And you, and you sit down, and you're just like, ah! And you're like, ah! And you, and you wish you could just pass out, and you could wake up, and it's over. Right? You're like, ah! And, and just intense. Anybody? Yeah? Okay. If not... I tell you, if not, I, I hear Wiener Stencil's open late now, so go check it out. You'll be okay. This, this is what this means, to vex with grievous pains. This is, they're, 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 it's a little rowboat, and they wish the walls are higher because it's like this wind is just killing them. You're like, it's like, oh, it's like that against the boat. That's what this is like. I've been on, the, on a tube behind a boat going 45 miles an hour, 
And when the water hits you, it stings at 45. You get little, little welts. The, the, the rain is probably falling faster maybe than 45 miles an hour. And so it stings and it hurts and it's vexed with great pain. Got it? Got the visual? And then they're already like freaking out. And then a figure comes walking on the lake. It's like a Hollywood movie. We're like, oh, it's a nice story. No! It's like, it's like, ah! It's like, what is that? It's like, and they scream, it's a ghost! They're not like little girls. It's like, oh, it's a ghost. Oh my goodness. It's like they're grown men and they're scared after death. And this guy's walking on the lake. It's like, ah! Got the picture? Oh, you gotta let it sink in. It's like, man, I got a head rash. We, I mean, you read that and you think, oh, it's so nice. Jesus walks on the lake. No, it's like a scary moment. But the truth is, in this story, the only one who could actually help them was the one coming to them on the lake. The one they didn't recognize is the only one that could help them out of the mess. As we, in the same way, don't often recognize God when he comes to us in the midst of our trial. And what trusting God essentially means is we need to learn to trust God and to recognize God's presence even in the most tormenting circumstances in our lives. Now, what is Jesus actually doing in this? Turn to the book of Mark. Leave your finger in Matthew because we're going to keep coming back to Matthew. But go to Mark chapter 6. It's like, so what's Jesus doing? You're like, what's he doing here? Mark chapter 6, verse 48. Getting there. It says this. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. It is buffeting them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to, what's the word? What does it say? Pass by. He's about to pass. Well, what's that? What is he doing there? It's like, is he racing them to the other side? What's he just like, woo, boo, you know? What's he doing? What is, this, what is the whole thing? He tends to pass by them? Uh, turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 33. David Garland, he writes a commentary on the book of Mark. And this verb here that, that he uses is this verb, parkomai, that means to pass by. The Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures that many Jews at this time would use. And so, in, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this, this word parkomai meant certain things in certain places. It was the verb they used to represent a theophany in the Old Testament where God came and spoke to people when God made himself known. In Exodus 33... Moses wants to see God's face. He says, let me see you. Let me see you. In Exodus 33, verse 22. And so God says this. When my glory, what? Passes by. I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have what? Pass by. In the Septuagint, that's the word. That's the word that he uses there. Turn to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19. It's Elijah. He just has all these run-ins with the king and, and kind of what's, what's good. And he's afraid and he's running. And he's hiding in a mountain. And God is going to come to Elijah. Uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 11. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Same word. It says, And a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Jesus, walking on the water, about the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake, he was about to pass by them. 
Same word. Jesus passing by. It's not a magic trick. It's not like a, boo, I'm going to scare all my disciples. It is a way to reveal his divine presence. It is wording that says God is going to reveal himself to you doing something extraordinary. In Job 9.8, it says that only God can tread the waves of the sea. Jesus is trying to get their attention, calling them to something extraordinary. They originally, they get in the boat. Jesus says, get in the boat. And they go, okay. So they, they get in the boat. They see him do miracles. They trust him. They do what he says. And yet, doing exactly what he said to do, they live in intense adversity. And they are doing what he said to do. They know their character. They know they can trust him. God sometimes calls us, you and I, to do some stuff. And we sometimes get intense adversity. And if we believe in who Jesus said he was, why so often do we question his character? Why so often we go, why, God, is this happening? Instead of trying to figure out what God is trying to teach us through this thing. Extreme circumstances are usually the place where we meet God. And if you are not looking, if you are self-centered, if you're whining then you might miss him as he intends to pass by and reveal himself to you. So there's 12 disciples in this boat. 11 are staying in the boat. They're very confused. They got a lot of wonder, maybe a little disbelief. One of them tries walking on the water. One of them does something religious. Matthew 14, verse 27. So go back to Matthew. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage in his eye. Don't be afraid. You bunch of girls. Okay, that's what he... No. <laughs> Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, a few months ago, we looked at what the story is also an example of extreme discipleship and obedience. Before a rabbi would take disciples, they would, they would sit down and they would grill their prospective students. They would ask them questions about Torah. They'd ask them questions about tradition. They'd ask them questions about other rabbis. They would ask them questions about prophets, ask them questions about sages, ask them questions about the oral law. They would ask them questions about interpretation. They would ask them questions about legislation. They would ask them questions about words and questions about phrases and questions about passages. Because a rabbi did not have time to train a kid who couldn't do and be exactly what he was. And so when Jesus goes and he finds his disciples, you realize they're rejects because they had jobs. They weren't sitting under a, a rabbi at that point learning to be just like the rabbi. They had jobs. So Jesus comes and he calls these guys who weren't good enough. And then rabbis would devote their energies to their students to help them to understand and to live the life that God called them to. And how they could and should use every opportunity to learn more about who God was. And so Jesus would take every opportunity to prepare his students for what God called them to be. So if you're a disciple, and if you have committed your entire being, your entire life to following this rabbi, and you see this rabbi walking on water, what should you immediately want to do? Walk on water. So he's doing it. Okay. And you should want to go. It's... That's what, that's what these people should do. Walk. Peter isn't an idiot. Peter is probably one of the few guys who actually got it. Jesus walking on the water. I want to be like that. Jesus wants extreme discipleship. Before he gets out of the boat, he asks Jesus to make sure it's a good idea. Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. I think Jesus smiles. I think he might even laugh at this point because somebody actually gets it. Somebody's like, oh, good. In Matthew 14, 29, come, he said. Now imagine yourself in the story. Okay, you're in this rowboat, buffeted winds, you just got freaked out by Jesus, you know, and you're like, what's, what's going on? And you got howling wind, deep darkness, deep sea, no drama, I mean, your lunch is up and down and up and down and up and down. These are not ideal conditions for trying to walk on water for the first time, right? You're like, I'll go down to Paul Nelson in the middle of the day and it's sunny and, and we'll give it a shot there, but I don't know if I'm going to do it actually here. Would you stay in the boat? Would you be afraid? Or would you get out? 
Because you must remember, the Lord is passing by. The Lord is showing himself. He's saying, come on, i got something extraordinary. Let you and me go. He is passing by. He's inviting you. What would you choose? And it's like I said, John Ortberg wrote an entire book about this passage called, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. You should read the book. Comfort is the boat. Danger is these waves. And you might sink. But if you don't get out, you will never walk on the water. Ever. Ever. I mean, we have a, all have a boat that's very comfortable for us. We like to stay in certain places. Some people come to Element, and I push you guys every week to get to know other people, to get involved in other people's lives, to go to a small group. And some people are like, no, I don't want to do that, because their boat is very, very comfortable. They don't want to get out. They want to stay where they're at. We, we do baptisms. And some people are like, oh, I don't want to get baptized in front of people. Oh, my goodness, because their boat's very comfortable. As I said, small groups, but I don't want to go to a small group. I might have to talk. People might know me. and I, You know, the boat's very comfortable. But I tell you, invest in somebody else. And it's like, uh, I don't know about that because our boats are very comfortable. What is your boat? I think deep inside, I believe we all actually want out of our boats. We're just too afraid to leave. And if you go, well, I don't know what my boat is. Ask yourself this. What produces fear in you when you think about leaving it? What is it? It could be a job, it could be a relationship, it could be some secret that you're holding on to, it could be even success. There's this guy uh, in, in Scripture, he's a, he's a rich young guy, and he goes to Jesus and he says, what is the thing I must do to get eternal life? What is the, give me the thing. You know, and if you read the New Testament, you realize the entire law was put there to point us to Jesus. And so Jesus looks at this guy and he basically says, quotes the law, he says, do these things. And this is what this guy says in Matthew 19, 21. He says, all these things I have kept. Yeah, including the part about being humble, apparently. Uh, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Wealth is his boat. I mean, money's not bad, but wealth was his boat. It was his comfort. It was the thing he held on to. And Jesus invited him out of the thing that held him in bondage. And the guy refuses. I wonder if this guy met Jesus at the end of his life when he's really old and he remembers Jesus. I wonder if he would be like, I wish I could go over and do that again. You know that most people over 65, the number one thing they said they wish they did when they were younger is that they wish that they risked more. Risked more. They wish they got out of the boat. Matthew 14, 29, come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. So Peter gets out of the boat, woo, and he sinks. It's like, oh. Don't assume that following God's going to be problem-free. It's not. Peter shoots off his mouth. He's like, he's like, tell me to come to you on the water. I think the other disciples are like, is he going to do it? Is he really going to do it? And so Jesus says, come, and he gets in like, how far away is going to go? And then he lets go. And it's like, wow. John Ortberg says this. He goes, he does something religious. He abandons himself utterly to the power of Jesus. For the first time, a normal human being walks on water, teacher and student. I mean, seriously, what? I wish I could have been there. This is, this is like a moment. Can you imagine this moment? It's like you got Peter, and he's like, <laughs> just hanging there. Come. Yeah, yeah, I'm coming. You know, come. <laughs> I mean, can you just see it? It's like, come, you come to me. He's like a two-year-old doing the drunken sailor. He's like, you know, it's like, yeah. I'm sure the guys in the boat are going, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's amazing. That's cool. And then it says this. Then Peter saw the wind. It's like, what was I thinking? He's like, what's going on here? He gets terrified. He begins to sink. Let me ask you this question. 
what has changed? Nothing. Nothing's changed. Jesus is still who he is. He's still on the water. He's still inviting him to come. The only thing that changed was Peter's focus. It was Peter's focus. I mean, what if God calls you and you decide, I'm going to do what he calls me to do and I'm going to get out of my boat and I'm going to do something religious. And then maybe it doesn't go as planned. You know, maybe reality sets in. You get setbacks or obstacles. I will tell you, if you get out of the boat, you will face obstacles. That's how it happens. But it depends on where your focus is because Jesus is still there calling you. He's passing by. He's saying, come, you can do what I call you to do. You can do it. I mean, if you're looking for absolute safety, you're, you're in the wrong species because a boat isn't any safer. It's like, they're not, really. Uh, maybe you say, well, I'm never going to get out of bed. My bed's comfy. I'm just going to sit here. I'm never getting out. Do you know that half a million people injure themselves every year falling out of their beds? I guess it depends on how high your bed is and how that goes. Some people will say, well, I'm going to cover my windows. I'm going to stay inside. I'm going to Xerox a picture of my middle finger and stick it on the front lawn so everybody just stays away. Ten people, statistic, ten people every year hang themselves on the cords of their Venetian blinds staring out the window. It's like, hey! I don't know how it works. Maybe your legs go out. I, I don't know, but, you know. Some people say, well, I'm going to hide money in my mattress, and I'll never go to the bank. Tens of thousands of people go to the ER every year for paper cuts from money. Yes. Now, let me ask you this. Wouldn't you rather risk yourself doing something amazing rather than hiding in the comfort of where you are? Wouldn't you rather risk to do something for Jesus? I'll give you a baseball metaphor. If you step up to the plate, you may strike out. You know the best hitters strike out two-thirds? If you hit 333, you're doing great. You're doing great. If you never step up to the plate, you will never know what it means to hit a home run. Ever. Helen Guter, she writes this. She says, You can live on bland food so as to avoid an ulcer, drink no tea, coffee, or other stimulants in the name of health, go to bed early, stay away from the nightlife, avoid all controversial subjects so as never to give offense, mind your own business, avoid involvement in other people's problems, spend money only on the necessities and save all you can, and you can still break your neck in the bathtub and it will serve you right. Fear never goes away. Fear is always there. Experiencing fear is part of experiencing growth. Fear is part of growth. Every time you enter a new place that God calls you to, you will have fear. You will have trepidation. But you'll have excitement as well. But part of following Jesus means we renounce comfort as the goal of our lives. And we put him and his calling as the goal of our lives. And our spirituality, we really really want comfort you know we're afraid of of all the true risks that he actually calls us to and you know calls us to and being his disciple all 12 of the guys in the boat should have gotten out of the boat but they didn't they stayed there 11 stayed behind fear does not have the power to destroy you fear just makes you uncomfortable it just makes you uncomfortable the main reason people fear doing something is they're afraid that they're going to fail and then somebody may make fun of you or you just may look stupid did peter fail I don't know. Failure is kind of a judgment about an event that's taken place. It's the way we think about the outcome. Jonas Salk is the guy who produced the polio vaccine. He failed 200 times before he made the right vaccine. Winston Churchill, he is held back in elementary school. He failed. And yet that event in his life, he said, was what most prepared him to stand up against Hitler and Nazi Germany. Thomas Edison makes a light bulb. He fails a thousand times to do it. A thousand times. And they say, oh, did you fail? And he says, no, I just found a thousand ways not to do it. (laughs) 
He has numerous patents, and on some of his patents, it took him over 2,000 tries to get it right. And he actually says, I never failed once. It just happened to be a 2,000-step process. <laughs> Did Peter fail? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe his faith wasn't strong enough. His doubts took his eyes off. Jesus, I don't know. He sank. Maybe he failed. I don't know. But there are 11 bigger failures who sat in the boat and wouldn't even try. They just sat there, sitting in the boat, safe. They fail quietly. And nobody gives sermons about the great faith of the guys who sat in the boat. We all just pick on poor Peter who's like, yeah! That's all we pick on is that guy. Because he tried to do something amazing. And so we pick on him. Now, the other guys in the boat, I think this, this event totally transformed their lives. Because if you look what happened to them after, the, they begin to have bold faith. They all die martyrs' death for stepping out on the water where God calls them to in their lives. So, yes, I think this event actually changed them. But at this point, they're still stuck in the boat. And I think Peter knew something else. Only Peter knew what it felt like to actually walk on water. Only Peter. None of the other disciples did. And I think he also is the only one that knew what it felt like to be lifted up by Jesus. In Matthew 14, 30 and 31, it says, Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Peter gets a complete unique perspective of who Jesus is and his strength and his power and that Jesus really can save. Peter will remember the thrill the rest of his life of walking on the water and the others would never know it because they wouldn't get out of the boat. And I think that's the bigger failure. I mean, how we deal with fear and failure is going to determine how we grow. Peter cries out. He's like, Lord, save me, as he begins to sink. And Jesus is there. He's not harsh. He's not critical. No, he goes, why did you doubt? They're alone, on the lake, alone. And he says, well, you know, why did you doubt? The problem with why, where Peter sank or float was on who he focused on. That was the issue. And Peter now understands faith much better than before he got out of the boat. He understands who Jesus is much better than before he got out of the boat. His willingness to risk Failure helped him to grow, helped him to become the person he was supposed to be. What put him in the position to fail is what put him in a position to grow. Failure does not shape you. How you respond to it does. And in verse 32 and 33, it says, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. I mean, this is a story about risk-taking and trusting Jesus, but it's also a little story about waiting. We all need to learn to wait on God. Jesus comes at the fourth watch of the night. That's 3 a.m. That's past my bedtime. 3 a.m. Peter waits for Jesus to say, come. And then it's not until the very end of the story that Jesus gets in the boat and the wind dies down. So the disciples have to wait the entire time for them to have Jesus answer what they're hoping for, that the storm to die down. Sometimes waiting is the hardest part when you do what God calls you to do because you step out. And then you're like, okay. Okay, I'm out here. What do I do? Uh, And you've got to wait for God to say, okay, now this is what we're going to do. In Isaiah 40, 30 and 31, it says, Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope, this is the word wait, in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The bottom line, why do we risk? Why do we risk? Why do we step out of the place Jesus calls us to? Because first off, it's the only way to know real growth. It's the only way to know real growth. Secondly, it is the only way that true faith really develops because you will only learn how to trust Jesus when you step out in places that you're like, oh my goodness, only time. It is an alternative to boredom. (laughs) Believe me, (laughs) it's an alternative to boredom and stagnation. People wither and die when their faith isn't out there being tested. And it's part of discovering and obeying your true calling. 
Walking on water brings a deeper connection with God because the water is where Jesus is. The water is where he calls you to. This morning, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you got out of the boat? When was the last time you got out of the boat? When was the last time that God called you to do something? You said, okay, and you went and you actually did it. We try so hard to be comfortable in our lives, and yet God passes by and everything shakes up and our lives become a little bit tormented, and we're like, what's going on? And I think there is a you and I that we really want to become, and fear keeps us from becoming that. And when God passes by and He calls you, you can step out because it is God passing by. It is God calling you. And you may have faith, and at times your faith may mean rejection by other people. And sometimes your giving may mean sacrifice, and sometimes meaning you risk means you might fail. But God is passing by. Jesus is inviting you to something extraordinary. And if you get out of your comfort, you can live a life that you can only dream about. I will guarantee you two things if you get out. One, there will be times that you fail. You will fall. But God will pick you up. You will not fall alone. And secondly, every once in a while, you're going to walk on water. And it will be amazing. Amazing. I think God wants you to see his glory. And many times that glory is seen when we're in the middle of terrible circumstances. And we see what God can really do. And we place our eyes upon Jesus and we trust and we walk. I mean, it is, it's one of the reasons we come to communion every single week. Because we remember that God's promises are true. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, at the beginning of the fall, God makes a promise. My son's coming. And then you go all the way through till Jesus gets here. And God is true to his promise. Communion. Jesus' body and his blood broken and shed for us. That's the point of communion. We break that cracker. It reminds us of his body that was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for us because his promises are true and he can be trusted when he calls us to step out into tough places. And communion reminds us to trust him. We worship God through prayer. There'll be some elders somewhere in the room. <laughs> I don't know where they're going to stand or be to pray with you. But if you are like, I really want to get out of the boat. I want to trust God. I want to do something amazing. And maybe you're not. And maybe fear is keeping you captive. Go pray with one of them. I think Tom's over there and Eric's back there. Pray with one of those guys. They would love to pray with you. We're going to worship God through song. Sean and the band's going to come back up and do some songs that help refocus our lives just a little bit. <laughs> we worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the sidewall and in the back of the room, and we give because God gave so much to us. And we worship God through fellowship. To talking to each other, to hang out, to come into a Super Bowl, oh, to a super thing, <laughs> cooking meat, hanging out, talking to each other, getting to know other people. I mean, one of the points of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is that God enables us again to be reconciled to each other. Our anger and pain and frustration with each other is not the end. Jesus comes to cover that so we can have relationships with each other and with Him again. We are to be reconciled to each other and to God and to God and to everybody sitting in the hallway. Sorry. Two weeks, you'll have chairs, I promise. So today, my question for you is, get out of the boat. Will you get out of the boat? The next time, you may be doing something this week and, and God may just grab your heart and go, that. And you're going to be like, is that really God? Maybe my windshield wipers come on if that's really you. I, you know. When God says something, just be like, okay, 
Okay. And just see what happens. It's amazing when you live and walk in faith. It's amazing. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us as your children how to live and walk in the faith that you call us to. That comfort would not be the goal of our lives and our spirituality, but you would be the goal. That we would step out. God, we think that that comfort is, is us feeling safe. And yet, when we're feeling safe, it seems a lot of times that our souls are not actually comfortable. They are restless. And they only truly, our souls only truly find comfort when we are living and walking with you. So I ask this morning that you would take and you would change and renew our minds and refocus us to who you are so that we would truly walk where you call us to walk. We would truly live in the ways that you call us to live. And that through our lives, you would receive glory and honor. And that we would then know true joy. Because we trust you. Help us to be people that step out and are not afraid to trust in you as our God. Amen.